Hello from elsewhere, I'm Casey. And I'm Valerie. And in this episode, we're discussing the thematic resonance of time in three Christopher Nolan films. Valerie, can we talk about the fourth dimension? That's so funny. I was just looking up the fourth dimension. Yes, it's time. Is it? Yeah. Or is it What inertia? did you think? Inertia? I was just reading about this. People think the fourth dimension's inertia? Yeah. Apparently, I was thinking it's time. I've always heard but it's then, time. That's what I've heard too. But then when I was reading things, there's some arguments for it being inertia, which I don't actually know anything about inertia. So, Well, either way, that makes 4D movies a lie and it upsets me. You know 4D movies where they like oh, the fourth shoot dimension stuff at is your like face sense, or senses. Yeah. Yeah. It's which is not true. But I just want to talk about how much I hate 4D movies. <laughs> Have you ever actually been to one? Have I ever? Yes. I'm saying, I've been never to been one. to one. I've never you know, had one where you You know the Coca-Cola incident. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that your only so, experience, though? Because that seems no. like a low-budget experience. When I was young, experience. I went to like the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids one or whatever at Disneyland. Okay, but that was and also And they blew wind at your feet to feel like ago. mice tails, and it was the <laughs> most horrifying thing. <laughs> that would be Like, who, who, please, if you're out there, tell me, and you like 40 movies, <laughs> why and what is wrong with you? <laughs> Normally, I'm... You know, we're positive about movies here, but we are not positive about 4D movies here. So says you. I've never experienced one. So, so I might love it. The Coca-Cola incident back in uh, February, was it? Yes. Wow, that was a long time ago. Back in February, I got to go to Atlanta to present some of my Harry Potter research. That sounds really cool to say <laughs> out loud. <laughs> but, but yes, I was presenting some of my research on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And uh, we were in Atlanta for this conference, me and my cohort of, of classmates and, and friends, my graduate school classmates. And uh, we kind of had the conference, but we also had a little bit of time to play. And uh, we went just a few blocks down from the conference to the world of Coca-Cola. It's like a Coca-Cola museum in Atlanta. And there's a lot of cool stuff in the museum. But if you ever go don't go to the 4D movie experience. It is terrifying. And Oh man, Casey, now Coca-Cola is never going to send us any products. They will not sponsor us. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, Uncle David. <laughs> My Uncle David works for Coca-Cola in Atlanta. And uh, yes, no hard feelings against Coca-Cola, but many hard feelings against 4D movies about Coca-Cola. We, you know, you get in there and you sit in these seats and they tell you, if you don't want the full 4D experience, there's some seats in the back that don't you know, do their thing. And I had the thought, Casey, you should go sit in the back. <laughs> but you I did not it. go sit in the back. And you should always listen to those sorts You're of... Jiminy Cricket. You ignored him. Yeah. The the shoulder angel and devil were both telling me to go to the back. And I, that's <laughs> when you really should listen. When they're yeah. in agreement. Yes. And I did not listen. And I stayed in the seat, which is an extremely uncomfortable seat. So a 4D movie, if you don't know is, as I said, where they spray like air and water and scents at you and, and your seat, some of them, your seat moves. This one, your seat moves and it is horrible and I had whiplash. And the worst part was my friend Ashlyn, so she was next to me, my seat was like delayed. So her seat would move and I'd get jostled a little bit from the movement of her seat and then like half a second later, then my seat would move. And it was the worst thing in the world and I hated it. I don't know what <laughs> else to say about it, but it was bad. Also, this the film itself, the story of it, it felt not real. Like I, I think that they spiked the Coca-Cola before the, because you get free Coca-Cola there. 
I'm pretty sure they put some substance in the Coca-Cola and then schlep you along to the 4D movie to get like the full hallucinatory experience (laughs) of the movie. Anyways, fourth dimension is generally time or apparently inertia, but it could also be Mm Coca-Cola. You should go to a 4D movie though. You might like it. (laughs) Now that I've sold it. You just want me to come back and tell tell you that you were right. (laughs) You were so right. 4D movies are the worst. I didn't know you'd never been to one. No. Oh. Well, I've never been to Disneyland. Never been to anywhere where there. Ha- I've never been to a Coca-Cola factory museum. I've never been apparently where there are 4D movies. It's okay. You're not missing anything. <laughs> Your life is better for it. All right. Should we get to the all-important question? Yes. What is the all-important question today? All-important question is Casey. If you could go to any time period, what would it be? Like if I'm, I've got and a time why? machine. Got a time yeah. machine and. All Bill and Ted. I would go to. England in the 1930s and 1940s because that is like the prime period of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and the Inklings, which was their literary group. Uh That's where they were sort of bouncing ideas off of each other about Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia. And it wasn't just them. There were some other philosophers and poets and writers that were in the group as well. And so it would just be awesome to be a fly on the wall and be a part of that, especially because C.S. Lewis had such like a dynamic personality. And um, sometimes he clashed with Tolkien on their ideas. And I think Lewis was a bit... um, had a bit more loudness to him. His his personality was a bit more, I don't know what the word is. Outspoken. Yeah. And Tolkien had opinions, but he was a little more reserved and a little bit more, um, not spacey, but like he was very much invested in his own worlds and was often described as being sort of not present. Like you could tell he was daydreaming. daydreaming. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would just love to be part of that. Anyways, what's your answer? What time period would you go to? I would want to go to the uh, early 1950s, I think. I think uh, it's funny because I, I'm a feminist, but I also enjoy, and not that they are, you know, mutually exclusive, but like I enjoy a lot of homemaking things. <laughs> mm. So that like idyllic like the picture of the homemaking woman they, vacuuming the, the, in her yeah, dress. That the and... <laughs> moms are supposed to be good at are things that I love. Like I love to sew and garden and cook and I love wearing dresses around the house and it's like, I feel like I'd just fit right in, man. Any other reasons like, like I could of, go to of a, the 1950s? Like, like any I could other... go to a, uh, a sock hop. Yeah, yeah, true. Learn some good swing dancing. You could duck and cover. Yes. <laughs> for the nuclear, the inevitable nuclear explosion. Have you ever watched the old duck and cover public service announcement videos? There's like a turtle and he ducks and covers underneath, like a cartoon turtle, the ones they show to kids. I don't know if I've seen the turtle. I always just think Duck of... and cover. <laughs> There's like a whole jingle to it. It's wonderful. No. And he ducks and covers under his shell, but everything around him gets blasted to dust. Good thing he ducked and covered. You know, because otherwise he'd be a goner. Yep. That shell protected him just like the school desks would protect you from a nuclear explosion. Yeah, that's explosion. what I always think of is uh, Boy Meets World. When mm. he gets zapped by the jukebox and goes back in time to the 1950s and he right. has to duck and cover. And he's like, a desk isn't going to protect you. See, people and always like, say that. How would you know that? Unless you're a Russian spy. People always say that. Yes, a desk would not protect you from a nuclear explosion. But if you're really far outside of the blast, like outside the radiation zone, stuff could still get shaken around earthquake style. Like a desk could still help a little bit from that. Like if you're far enough away. It would all I depend on how close to impact. Yep. But see, having come from the future, I would know that that never actually occurs. So So you wouldn't participate in the duck and cover? No. And then they would think you were a Russian spy. Oh, yeah, so I would just participate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So Christopher Nolan has a movie being filmed right now. It comes out in 2020, and it's supposedly incorporating time travel. Um, so now is a good time to revisit that, especially because there might be a trailer dropping. There might be one by the time this episode airs. So, yes. How do you know these things? Me? Yeah. I don't know. I just... <laughs> you say that like it's common knowledge. You know, that Christopher Nolan movie that's coming out in 2020. We've talked about this, how your internet and my internet are different internets. It's very true. But yes, so with Christopher Nolan's movie coming out next year, we thought it'd be fun to visit Christopher Nolan. And Christopher Nolan's films are often very thematically heavy and resonant. And um, there's a lot of good themes that are in multiple multiples of his films. So Right. It's like how we talked about with Spielberg and Fathers. Like You can mm. kind of find that theme running through well. This one we've got Christopher Nolan in time. Right. Like he has other, a lot of his films speak to like obsession and, and survival and water. I think you could do an episode on Nolan and water. Like watching these three movies that we're going to talk about. There's a lot of water, like more than normal. Um, Or lack of water. But we're not going to talk about water right now. Well, (laughs) water will come into it, but not as a, an overarching, overarching, overarching. I don't know which way to say that theme, but yes, time. And in a lot of ways, I think Christopher Nolan is already including time travel in these movies. Um, not in the normal sense, but not in the way that you normally think about it. But he definitely there is time travel. plays with time. Both for the characters and for the audience as well. You could discuss this theme through the lens of many of his films. We, we just picked three because um, just so the episode doesn't get bogged down. But uh, yeah, we're going to discuss Inception and then Interstellar and then Dunkirk. So if you haven't seen any of those, spoiler alert, big spoiler alert. I know a lot of people didn't see Dunkirk for whatever reason. Maybe it's just because it's not sci-fi. Um, it's not Nolan's normal kind of thing, but it is well worth but the it's watch. so good. It's very, very good. And you should watch it. And you should know that I don't really even like war movies that much. Oh, I do. You do? Oh, yeah. Even when I was a teenager. Patton. Patton. Yeah, that thing's like two George hours long. George C. Scott. And uh, and Pearl Harbor, that's like two hours long too. Mm. I was in those war movies for the long haul, man. I love Dunkirk and I love Bridge on the River Kwai. That's about it. Patriot, that one's good. That's true. I don't really think about Braveheart. that as a war movie, but they are war movies. War movies are the best. I mean, and there's Star Wars, but... Okay, I'm, now we have to do I'm an episode like, on war movies. <laughs> I'm thinking like real world, real war, not like space wars. Mm. It's wars in space, because those are wonderful. Yeah, you're all about the space wars. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite series, Space Wars. Yep. All right, Inception. Where do we want to start with Inception, Valerie? I think one of the overarching, that's how I say it, I think, overarching themes. Does that sound weird in your mouth? It does though? sound weird. <laughs> somebody, somebody tell us how you to say talk, it. You talk. I'm going to look up the de- um, Oh, make Google say it for us. Oh, where's yeah, the little sound thing? Overarching. 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 You're go. right. It just feels weird. It does. Maybe it's because like a character arc, but overarching, arching. those are different. Anyways, I don't even know where you're going because I yeah. just heard the word overarching and I rudely <laughs> interrupted your initial thoughts about inception oh i interrupted myself because i said that's how i say it anyways the overarching theme or one of the overarching themes of time in inception is when all the characters i mean they're going into dreams but time slows down when you get into the dreams 
which I think is fascinating. Like just the whole idea that you, when you're in a dream, it feels like you've been there for hours, but in the real world, you've only been asleep for like five minutes. And then when they go into a dream within a dream, time slows down even more. And I I think that's fascinating not only for dreams, but for certain moments that come up in the movie as well, where like time can seem to take forever. Right, like that van is falling for what feels like years. Right. (laughs) The van that's falling off the bridge. Right. Yeah. Like you mentioned, the the slowness of it. One of the first indications that something's not quite right is the the ticking watch. The um, second hand sort of slows down on the watch that they look at. Right. Um, and that's when you start to realize that something's a little bit off. And then eventually you learn as the audience that this is a dream. I think it's vital to point out that time and its visual representation as a watch is our entry point into the the, fanta- the fantastic elements and the the dream elements of the of the film. So interesting. This is kind of off topic. That when they're in the dreams, they try to make everything seem so real to the person, like they don't want them to find out that they're dreaming. Mm-hmm. And the like, what always gives away a dream is those fantastical elements. Yeah. When I don't know about you, when I dream, everything's weird. So. No, I have like the most boring dreams. So you have a dreams like this. Yes. <laughs> but without guns maybe somebody is messing in my mind you need a what, what does Cobb call himself a consultant dream consultant i don't think that's what they call it security i need yeah some dream security no sometimes my dreams are weird but i think we've talked about this before i'm never a main character in my own dreams you're like, watching i'm watching third the dreams. person yes it's usually like watching a movie which is wild to me I love that. Like they, I, I know you say that's boring, but that's never, amazing. They almost never involve me. Like I watch what happens. So your dreams are movies. Yes. I love that. I'm so jealous. <laughs> like Mine are time, first person and generally just me falling off of a cliff. <laughs> Showing up to class late. Yeah. Just or all your like, anxiety dreams. Or there's like rockets that land and like my uncle comes out of it. Actually, it's a firework. A firework goes up into the air and then it lands like a rocket and... Because I had this dream when I was a kid, and I didn't realize that fireworks and rockets oh, were, were different, different things. And my uncle would come out of the firework, and then I would wake up. Or sometimes I would cross train tracks that were guarded by a dog, but the dog was really a person wearing a dog suit. <laughs> Those are the dreams I remember. Okay, now when I was a kid, I sometimes had dreams that if it was a nightmare, it involved me. Oh, interesting. But if it was just a other dream... And maybe this is where it started because I had reoccurring gremlin nightmares as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I've never actually seen the movie, so I wonder how close my nightmare is to the actual movie. You need to watch Gremlins for some catharsis. <laughs> I'm going to use my, I'm going to put on my psychologist hat for a second and tell you that I you need, need some... to watch Gremlins. <laughs> some closure. Really? Well, I haven't had those nightmares in decades. So. Okay. Because when I was a kid, so I, wouldn't say it I heard my me. brother and my parents watching The Sixth Sense from the room over, and my brother told me parts of it later, which is a bad brother move, by the way. And <laughs> thanks a lot, thanks Ryan. Ryan. And <laughs> and so I was terrified of The Sixth Sense, and it's still not like my favorite movie. I don't do horror very well, but I watched it later in life, and I felt better because I realized my imagination, imagination of it is worse. Right, it ran wild actually. exactly, and mm-hmm. it, it's still a creepy movie for sure and it's creepier than i can handle generally but uh yes catharsis no one time i had a dream it was like a cruise ship full of celebrities and um oh, why did i just go blink uh chris pratt was doing like stand-up comedy in like a hawaiian shirt mm-hmm. that sounds on brand yeah and then <laughs> and then it was um oh what's her name from interstellar um jessica chastain no and hathaway 
our friend Anne Hathaway. No. Those are the only two women. Is in it Jessica it. Chastain? I was thinking with red of, hair. With what's? Uh, oh, I was thinking. Amy Adams. No, um, the director's daughter. Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas yes. Howard. That's the one. Not Jessica Chastain. I bet they're friends. You think so? I bet Pals. they. I bet when actors get mistaken for each other, they become friends. That's just through that. That's just common knowledge. Yeah, they become friends. Yep, automatically. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, no, it was Bryce Dallas Howard that was there, which makes sense because they were in you know the Jurassic, Jurassic World yeah. Park mm-hmm. movies together. Jurassic World movies mm-hmm. together. Anyways, she was like telling him that he was so bad that she was like throwing things at him. That's wonderful. Anyways, <laughs> so these are the kind of dreams I have, but I was just watching. Like, like, I don't even, like, I, I must have been in the room, but I couldn't tell you, you know, what I was doing or where I was sitting or what I was wearing. Like, I don't know any of that. That's really interesting because I like Chris Pratt, but I also would like to throw things at him while he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> and telling bad jokes. Yeah. Anyways, Inception. <laughs> you know, and dreams. Valerie, can you can you describe the mechanics of time, like, in the dream world? In the, the dream world? Yeah, how the time works. What did they say? Five minutes in the real world is an hour in the dream world. Something and then like when you that. go down the next level, it's a week. Yeah, they said like, well, I think it was with when they were talking about the more potent drug. But it was like the first level, they spend a week. Then it was like six months. And then it was like 10 years or something. If they were staying there on those levels, they'd be mm. stuck there for 10 years at that. I think that means the snowy level. No, I, felt, I think 10 years would have. Oh, no, because limbo is like limbo. forever. You're pretty much stuck mm. down there for they were saying for decades eternity. or something. Yeah. I felt more confused watching it this time than when I was younger. I think, Did you feel that way? Well, I think the more you try to analyze something. <laughs> Maybe that's it because we wanted to talk about time and so we were taking notes right. about the time that it felt more hard to grasp. I think... Normally I am great at just suspending my disbelief and like I don't look for plot holes. I don't care to... No, I... I just want to enjoy the movie. I despise... 40 movies and plot holes? All of, or people who, you know, pick out plot holes. Yes. I despise people whose sole movie going experience is to find plot holes. That's not the reason movies are made is for logic. Like, movies are an emotional experience. Should you get to choose, Casey, how somebody else enjoys their movie time? There's a wonderful, wonderful YouTube video. Patrick William Willems. The title of the video is Shut is Up About. Mo Willems? Maybe. The title is Shut Up About Plot Holes. And if you watch that video, you will know all of my feelings about plot holes. So I'm not going to go into it here, but plot holes do not matter. You're just so negative. The greatest I am. I'm (laughs) negative about two things, 4D movies and people who only watch movies for plot holes. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some logical um, elements, but movies and stories are an emotional experience. And this is coming from someone who in real life, I am a very logical person or at least some mostly logical person. I'm not particularly emotional, but that's different when I watch movies. Anyways, yes, I felt more confused this time watching Inception. I think it felt, I still love this movie, but it did feel a bit messier to me this time around. Like, I didn't enjoy it as much. Maybe, I don't. Can't over, overanalyzing ruins everything. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, because, so Bacon and Eggs, podcast mentioned them before they recently did an episode about the prestige and other nolan movies came up and inception came up and ethan had mentioned that that like inception is good but messy and i i agree this time it felt a bit messy and we already had this episode in the works so i thought it was kind of funny that they did a nolan episode and then here we are but so inception i feel like time is 
bound and linked to memory, like they're one and the same in a lot of ways. And so a lot of our discussion about Inception can be about about memory and um, time's effect on memory. But I wondered if, Valerie, you could use your French skills for us here. Absolutely. My rusty French skills. So the song that they play to cue the characters to that the dream is going to be ending or that they're going to kick them out of the dream is the Edith Piaf song. What's the name of the song? Rien de la Rien. It sounds so good when you say it. Or yes. Non, je ne regrette Which, fun fact. I was thinking of the chorus. Marion Cotillard played Edith Piaf. Again, Such that's why Marion Cotillard is our spirit animal. Yet, mm-hmm. Levian Rose, which is very sad. So but sad. But very good. And she yes. is just magnificent in that. In all things. I love her. Okay. Any lines here that stick out? C'est payé, balayé, oublié. Je m'en fous de passer. Avec mes souvenirs, j'ai allumé le feu. Balayé les amours avec les tremolés. Well, c'est payé means it's paid. Um, balayé was a new word to me. I had to look that one up. Uh, means like swept away. Oublié is forgotten. And uh, je m'en fous de passer means I don't care about the past. And then, you know. I set fire to my memories, uh, which is j'ai allumé le feu. Balayer, that same word, like to swept away uh, les amours, I mean I've, I've swept away the past loves uh, with their trembling. I think it's really interesting to hear those words and think about Cobb in that in that sense and Cobb's relationship with um, with Maul, with Marion Cotillard's um, yes. character about how by the end, and we're jumping ahead and we can go back, but by the end, Cobb has learned that memory is imperfect yeah the idea that uh what he's idealized about her is not necessarily the truth um and that you know that that he does need to you know let her go i think is a big part of the movie but i also like with the with inception talking about time i like that it deals not just with you know the dream within a dream and that kind of time stuff but also with what's going on in the real time world Mm. I think sometimes we're thinking about what's happening in the dreams and we forget that what's happening in their real life. Like Cobb hasn't seen his kids in years and, uh, you know, the growth of his children, like the time passing without him there would be exceptionally painful, just as painful as him having to let go of his wife in this process. And I like that the, uh, and I think it's the same, you know, kind of relates to Interstellar jumping even more ahead that the, I was thinking about how the true passage of time is kind of measured in how much time we miss spending with our loved ones. So like if we, because in, in, in Interstellar, Cooper is, you know, counting all the time on how much time he's going to miss with his kids, particularly his daughter. And I think that um, that Cobb has that same fear, that time that he's missing out on with his kids. Right, and even his memory of his kids that keeps showing up, it's the, they're the, the same age in all those memories, even though, I mean, we don't know how much time has passed since Maul died. But kids grow pretty fast. So you know that they're older than... They've changed. ...than in that memory that he has of them. And that's another another indication of... Or another instance of the imperfection of memory and of time and how... Yeah, we just, can't gauge how things will change over yeah. time. I also like, speaking of the real world still, that they... It doesn't take much time for a life to change. Like for Cobb, they get on the airplane and they're going to lo- land in Los Angeles in 10 hours. So one 10-hour flight... He is all he gets to either get this right and get to be home with his children or get it wrong and go straight to prison. Yeah, I like that you said like time or anything can change in a moment. And not just for Cobb, but for a lot of people there like um, Fisher, the um, character played by Killian Murphy. He's on that. He gets on that flight hating his dad 
and hating the memory of his dad right. and and everything that his dad represents and hating his relationship with his dad and vilifying him but by the end he has catharsis yeah catharsis he's got that he watched his gremlins <laughs> yes killian murphy watched gremlins that's the theme mm-hmm. um yes he has comp- done a complete 180 and he has a better handle on his own life and his own path um and it all happened in that short window of the plane flight a lot changed for him do you think he was totally weirded out when he realized that he slept the entire 10-hour plane flight? Um, no, I bet he thought, like, this is a traumatic thing. My dad just died. I'm feeling... Exhausted. Yeah. So it's perfectly normal that I slept for 10 hours on a plane. But maybe. When normally they're so uncomfortable, you can only sleep for a couple hours Yeah, but time. he was, like, in first class. Like, better than first class. That's true. Nice and jet. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it's still a seat that reclines. It's not the same as having a bed. And there'd still be, you know, normally there's noises around you and... Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio breathing behind you. Yeah, and uh, people pushing carts up and down the aisles and, you know... We've never been on a first-class flight, so you don't know. Just like you've never been in a 4D movie. (laughs) You uncultured swine. But I have been in a cross-Atlantic flight. Mm. And they are long, and there's no way to sleep for more than a few hours at a time. Did you get on that plane and get off that plane as different people than the same way as Fisher did? Like in a different mindset? Did someone perform Inception on you? No, but I think coming home, I was a slightly changed person. I think you Mm -hmm. always are after travel. Can we talk about how I I mentioned before that time and memory are imperfect, and that's a major theme in this movie, and and how Cobb's relationship with Maul is, is through the imperfection of memory. But also the movie presents this idea of time and memory not just being imperfect, but being dangerous. Hmm. Yeah, like the idea that... Well, and like when What's-His-Name gets shot and uh, he can't... Oh, Saito? Saito, yeah. Thanks for being so good with all the names. You're welcome. <laughs> that's my, that's that my one That is your job. job. That is your one job on this podcast to remember all the names for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when Yeah, when Saito gets shot and the idea that... Um, well, in this case, I think time kind of saves him. Like the deeper they go, the longer he has till he, you know, would die. Yeah, but it also because of that one again another instance of of things changing in a moment. That one bullet causes him causes him to live for decades in limbo. That's heavy. He was down there for a very long time. Like An he's old super man old, filled with filled regret. With but yeah, that that idea that that time is something to be feared. With that line, you that. You become an old man filled with regret. and Well, and it keeps going because it says, you know, waiting to die alone, which I think is so interesting. It goes back to my idea that you we measure our lives in the time well spent or time spent with the people we love. And so if you're alone at the end of your life, you're going to be an old man. Your time is wasted kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, that you're just an old man waiting to die alone. Like, that's it. If you don't have friends, family, people around you. Do you believe that, that if you're alone... You have a reason to regret. The time is slower if you're alone. I think time is slower if you're alone. Whoa. You're wrinkling my brain. Think about it. The days when I, the children, you have it like, okay, last fall, the kids and I went to Bear Lake for a few days and you were home alone for like three days. Yeah. Yeah. How long did that weekend feel? I watched a lot of movies. Right? You're like, look at all this time I have. Yeah. Telling you, when your time is with other people passes so fast, which is, I mean... Luckily, we get to have some of each in life. But I think when you get to the end of the world, you know, end of your life, like Saito in Limbo, that you're just waiting to die alone because that time, man. Also, 
another way that time and memory are dangerous is its is their relationship to reality. So Cobb has built this prison of of memories. I think I think um, Ellen Page's character says that. I think she's the one that uses that phrase. Right. Um, Getting trapped down there. Well, he even puts her in the basement, and we all know the creepy things are kept in the basement. Yeah, like Marion Cotillard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Chris Pratt in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Telling terrible stand-up jokes, and and Killian Murphy watching Gremlins. Yes. I'm one of us is going to dream about these things <laughs> tonight. Probably you. I don't usually remember my dreams. Nah, I don't usually either. I remember the firework one and the dog one because they were like nightmarish. But yeah, but no. So so Cobb is has been consumed by these memories, and he's he he can't let them go. And the whole movie, Ellen Page's character. Um, Ariadne is really concerned about Cobb and what he's done to himself and what he is refusing to let go in terms of memory. Yeah, I think it goes back to the idea when they're in, where are they in? Mozambique? Where they meet Tom Hardy? Where they meet Tom Hardy. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Anyways, I don't remember. Um, But they um, visit their... Uh, the man who provides the the dream serum, the sedative, mm-hmm. and uh, they see all the people who are sleeping, and uh, the idea that that's the only that's the way that they want to spend their time because it's the only way that they can dream now. Right, and then the old the old man says like, which one is reality and which one's the dream for them, and right. that is is meant to it's meant to have us as an audience think, well, if they're like that, Cobb is probably also like that. And mm-hmm. and Spend even too much time in dreams versus right. time in real world. And even that final shot is is leading us to the question of what's been reality, what's been a dream, and does Cobb care by the end? Were you, you know? mad? I think everyone was mad at the end of the movie. <laughs> I don't think so. I think everyone loved it. I loved it. Oh, I heard so many people who were mad. They're like, but did the top fall? It's like the lady or the tiger. Do you remember that story? No. Okay. Well, I, I love an ending that you have to choose what you think a little bit. And I think there's valid um, evidence on both sides. I think it's reality at the end because I feel like the movie is pointless if it's not. And so I want it to be real. Seems like the, He sees like the same shot of his children and they haven't aged still. My feeling that the time I watched it this time was that was a memory that wasn't what he was actually seeing in the moment. But that could just be Having time my making an excuse. The two. Yeah. Either way, he needs therapy. He does. He needs catharsis. He needs inception. Don't think anybody wants to go into his brain. No, lots of trains in there. Ariadne already visited. She's seen enough, man. Yeah, that's true. It's a creepy elevator with broken glass and... and Trauma. Tragedy. Yeah. Yep. So on that happy note... Wait, nope, not not ready yet. But we're getting really long here. Yep, this is gonna be a long episode. <laughs> so limbo, they say limbo basically equates to an eternity, and in this movie, eternity is bad because the lack of time, the the timelessness of limbo, is what drove Maul. Well, it was Cobb basically that planted it, so it wasn't like Maul's fault. But um, the movie presents eternity as a bad thing. Would you agree? Interesting. Again, I think it's who you're with. Time forever would be fine by me if I've got my friends and family around me. But if you're missing people, like, you know, how they're missing their children. I just think that it's time and eternity that broke their relationship apart or fractured it. Mm. They were living there for so long and Cobb realized he wanted to get back to his children. Maul wasn't ready for that. And it's what sort of drove Cobb to... Um, 
plant that plant that inception that was not well thought out and um made mal question her reality once she woke up can't change people man even on the subconscious level it is tricky but then to end on a hopeful note it's it's Cobb coming to the realization that memory and time are imperfect that saves everything because he's finally able to let Ma go tell her she's just a shade just a memory that she's doesn't really measure up to the real yeah yeah to the real um to the real Ma with her 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 perfections and end imperfections he says um yeah okay we can move on to interstellar because we have a lot to say about interstellar how'd that go again (laughs) you only get one oh okay i only get one (laughs) song per episode interstellar it's a little different the second time Sounds like the Flash Gordon Queen song. Flash! Ah! Do you know that? It's vaguely familiar. Sounds like that. Anyways, Interstellar. Just as background, and we can get into it as a reminder. So Interstellar is, you know, the the time on Earth is running out, and crops are dying, and Cooper and his daughter find NASA, and they are tasked, well, Cooper is tasked with being the pilot for a mission to um, head out into space and find a more suitable planet for um the people of earth and to repopulate with some Anne hathaway dna tubes that's the movie right (laughs) scientific yeah Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. i mean if there's one person i would trust to repopulate a whole human planet it'd be Anne hathaway Mm, yes she's a scientist who you know i would choose would you trust her more than marion cotillard marion cotillard's never even played a scientist that i'm aware of so hmm I think she might in Contagion. I haven't seen Contagion. (laughs) I'm too scared to see Contagion. But let me know if she plays a scientist. That's important. And does she have DNA tubes? Do we want the Cotillard or the Hathaway DNA tubes? That's the question. Yeah, this is sounding really weird now. Okay. (laughs) I'm hoping this episode feels like a weird dream. That was our goal, was to make it a weird dream. So they need some of that that spiked Coca-Cola. Yes. To really... Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it was Make this. hallucinogenic. I'm sorry, but the moving seats were real, and they did really hurt my back. <laughs> Just because you're an old man. This is true. If Keep it's telling any, you to do yoga with me. If it is, if it's convincing at all, the rest of my cohort didn't like it, or they were just laughing at my pain. <laughs> Bit you of pick. both. One of the things I like when you start out on Interstellar, you know, the movie you're on Earth, and and. Uh, you get the sense right away that ch- time changes everything. You know, this isn't the world that we know um, and that it's changed so much. And they mention things like Cooper says that, or, you know, the grandpa says that when they're at the baseball game, grandpa says, you know, well, this game is, you know, ridiculous. Where the real base, we had, in my day, we had real baseball players. And then Cooper says, well, in my day, we were too busy fighting over food to have baseball at all. And then, you know, in, um, Murphy's day, the daughter, you know, at least they have baseball again, like this time changes everything depending upon when you live um and time also changes the perspective on things like murphy gets in trouble for reading about the moon landing which did you know that this summer was the 50th anniversary of the moon I landing i did know that it's exciting pretty cool and uh but anyways she's reading an old textbook about it and the teacher's like well we've replaced those with the new copy with the revised um thing because the moon landing was propaganda and a hoax and not real, which some people still believe. So They do, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, they. Uh, which I'm kind of curious, do you believe moon landing, real or not? We, we've never discussed this. <laughs> this is probably a pre-marriage conversation we should have had. Yeah. 
But yes, I do believe in the moon landing. I do too. Oh, wow. Sure, we made that it. That was close. <laughs> was really I don't know there. if we could have reconciled that one. Deal breaker. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the idea that just time, the passage of time changes how we view things that happened in the past, how we view what's going to happen in the future. Time, man. Time, man. Time. So Cooper, he gets to that, that NASA installation and when he's deciding to accept the mission, one of his first questions is an indication of how important time is to him and how important it is to the film as a theme. And he says, you know, how long will I be gone? And from that point on, time is like this very big salient presence um, for him and for the others on the mission. And, you know, if Inception is about time as a memory, um, Interstellar is really about time as a barrier and as a... A resource, but a very limited resource. Yeah, like when they mentioned that, uh, you know, time is relative and it can stretch and bend, but it can't run backwards. And what? So you know, the idea that what's what, when time is gone, it's gone. Like, uh, so yeah, it's a limited resource. Which ends up being false by the end because of them, the the other beings that we don't know. They do let time run backward. How so? Because the whole thing with. With Cooper in the Tesseract, the time as a physical dimension is him reaching into the past and changing things. I mean, not really changing things because this is the type of time travel where he is changing it, but it was changed what had forever. What happened, happened. Yeah. But is that really messing with time or just letting him view time? So you don't think he's changing the past? I'm confused what you're saying. I think I'm saying... I'm just <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying either. I think I'm saying that... It, it feels almost more like he's viewing the past at different eras. Yes, he is communicating with her, but he already has communicated with her. So he's just viewing what has been done. So he's viewing himself changing the past. <laughs> yes. Third person, just like your dreams. <laughs> yeah, like my dreams. See, you should have a better handle on this than I do. <laughs> all I know is all my knowledge of Tesseracts comes from A Wrinkle in Time. That's all I've got. I love that you said that and not Marvel. I thought you were going to say the Cosmic Cube. Oh, no. Knew about Wrinkle in Time first. Mm -hmm. So what sort of insight does Wrinkle in Time give to Interstellar? Not enough. Oh. I feel like the Tesseract moment's kind of quick in the... It's one of those in Interstellar. In Interstellar, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to grasp. And a lot of people don't like Interstellar because of that ending. Mm. They feel like it comes out of nowhere and doesn't like add anything. And I disagree, but I'm curious what you feel. I don't mind it because I think the whole movie builds up to this moment and they've been talking about time so much throughout that I think it's natural that, uh, you know, the Tesseract, the time as a fifth dimension would come into play. But I think if you don't really know what, like, the idea of a Tesseract is, then it is then, you know, hard to comprehend. Yeah, a lot of the language is So, uh, like, if they had just gobbledygook. taken a moment to, like, kind of explain it. If you can explain a Tesseract. I don't know how to explain a Tesseract. But I love that Christopher Nolan trusts the audience on things. And maybe sometimes too much. He trusts me too much sometimes, I think. Because, you know, he's thinking about me personally. But um, He writes you letters. What yeah. Do you, what do you think about this idea? Do you get it, Casey? If you can I get wish. it, the average man will get it. That's what I dream about is letters <laughs> from Christopher Nolan. Um, I was going to say something. You just totally missed my insult. Wait, I missed your insult? What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> And Chris, Christopher Nolan writes the letters and says, you know, did you get this? Because if you got this, then the average man will get it. Better average than below average. <laughs> I suppose that's Average true. is not a weakness. I think for me, the ending works just even just logically because 
um, like you said, everything's been building up to it. And there's so many lines that um, are foreshadowing. Like when he's saying, so he quotes his wife who's passed away when he's talking to Murph and he says, uh, now we're just here to be memories for our kids. And then he adds, um, once you're a parent, you're the ghost of your children's future. That's a pretty uh, literal thing that happens later in the movie. And I love little foreshadowing things like that. Right. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No. Okay, I was going to say, because I also wanted to mention when we're in the talking about the Tesseract here, um, there's this idea that they mentioned that they, which is the humans from the future, uh, we assume. Yeah, they kind of um, imply. imply that toward the end. But they, even though they can create the Tesseract, they can't find a specific time. Um, but Cooper can. He can find the right time to find Murph. You know, like in that room. They build him this Tesseract that's all the time that has ever happened in Murphy's room, but they can't find the right time to talk to him. He has to find it. And uh, it goes back to that idea of um, that young Dr. Brand, Anne Hathaway Brand. What's her first name? Oh, um, Amelia. I think that's yeah. what I was going to say too. Okay, Amelia. That, they, um, that she mentions that love is a driving force that can't be explained. Um, and so because of that love that guides Cooper to the right time in the Tesseract. So they can't find the right time for him. He has to find the right time because only he can be drawn through his love with Murph, like that connection to get back to the right, you know, to view the right time. So what you're saying is that the whole movie is thematically consistent and that the ending makes sense. Coincides at the beginning, man. I also like the idea that uh, all it takes for us to grow and evolve, like the idea that Cooper's time was fighting wars, Murphy's time is building uh, this whole, I don't know what you call it, this whole like space station. What do they call it? Not really space, a space station? That they're trying to, you know, launch the whole thing off the earth. It's a, uh, oh, it has like a real science name. Yeah, he looks at it sideways and says it's a uh, something. <laughs> yeah, there's a common idea in science, like an O'Neill cylinder, which is what it is. But I don't remember what they call it in the movie. I mean, they call it Cooper Station, but. Right. So anyway, so going back to my thought there. But uh, Murphy's time is, you know, building this station and they're advancing in that way. Um, and then we've got they of the future who are trying to, you know, save those of us, those in the past, because they themselves will need help at some point. Like, just this idea that, uh, that all it, I like the idea that what it takes for us to grow and evolve is time. Like, so long as our, our focus is good, our focus is forward, our focus is on love, you have this driving force for you, then you progress and you evolve in time. Beautiful, beautifully said. This time watching it, I noticed how... I think that in Interstellar, in a lot of ways, is like a spiritual sequel to Inception. They're almost opposite sides of a coin, even just the the mechanics of time. You think about Inception, where um, the time within the dream is, is um, um, the time inside the dream is taking a long time, but, you know, they wake up and it's only been a 10-hour period. So the time outside the dream has not moved um, very fast at all, right? But in an interstellar, the time, the closer they are to the black hole, so the main mission, Cooper and, and, and Brandon Romley, the closer they get to the black hole, time on the outside of that, so time back on Earth, is passing and passing and passing. And so the, the time mechanics of the movies are opposite in that way. Um, but then that sort of makes the consequences a little bit uh, heavier in interstellar, that it, it hammers home that idea that time is a resource and a limited resource, and and therefore time is a is a barrier, and and that time has an emotional 
resonance to all these characters and that time is connected to emotion and the time away from family like you mentioned before with inception the time away from family just um, heightens the the emotional the, the emotional impact of the movie and the impact on the characters Right. I think that time, you know, you're talking about as a barrier, but I think it's a barrier to those that we love. Like I keep coming back to this thought of like time and love and how they're connected. And I like that, uh, like the wormhole, it saves them countless amount of time. There is no way that they could find another planet without the wormhole. Uh, It's the only thing that gets them far enough away to possibly inhabitable planets. Um, and they, the mankind of the future, are saving the earth, saving mankind with a wormhole that saves people time. So they plant this wormhole to, you know, to save the people of earth enough time to save all the people of earth. And so I like the idea that we we save time for the people that we love because they're trying to save the people that they would have loved of, of, of the past, like their ancestors, like they place this wormhole there for them to like save time for them. And I also like that you were mentioning that the um, the time feels slower and longer away from the people that you love. And uh, like even today, I was like out running errands for a few hours, but I was away from you and the kids. And all of a sudden it felt like, oh, I should be home with the kids. You know, like I felt like disconnected, even mm-hmm. though it was just a couple hours. Like it just, it's this weird pressure to return to the people and the that longer you love. that and the longer away, you're away yeah. the more pressure you feel to be back i suppose there's a sweet spot we're never away from our kids long enough yeah like if you you know first day is probably pretty like oh man i hope the kids are okay and then maybe by like second day you and third day you enjoy yourself and then maybe by the fourth day you're like oh i should probably get back to the kids maybe it's different for every person i don't know a thought i had just now because you were talking about how um the, the time was increasing the pressure Right. And that's really interesting to think about in the sense of Miller's planet, which is the water planet and how Cooper's really feeling the pressure of that time. Like he is, is um, acutely aware of the amount of time they spend on that planet is, is really affecting time elsewhere. Right. And brand doesn't seem to have that same sense of urgency, that same pressure. And I don't know if it's a, a, a parenting thing, you know, brand isn't a parent. Yes. She has her dad back on earth. Um, she does say, you know, I'm counting the time the same as you. Yeah. But I don't think it's quite the same. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, yes, she's missing her parent, you know, her father, and I'm sure she has friends and people that she's missing. But and she is aware of of the Cooper's family. Right. But in that moment, she's definitely not feeling the pressure of time the way that Cooper is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it affects like Romley, who is back back on the endurance and has spent 23 years in space like a true hero just researching a black hole right. which he probably doesn't get much data because they can't and uh man romley he's like the saito you know saito gets stuck in limbo for so long just because oh, of, a, of, a, of a gunshot and romley uh, gets stuck in space romley's there for 23 years poor romley i love romley great i also love miller's planet how um hans zimmer's score right there it sounds like a ticking clock underwater it does. I hadn't thought about that. Also, you've told told me like every time you watch it, you tell me how sad Miller's Planet is. Oh, that that whole that whole scene just makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. It just is such a waste. A waste of a time. waste of time. <laughs> literally, like decades of time that are wasted, and you achieve nothing on that planet. I mean, I guess you find out that the planet is uninhabitable. Yeah. But but they lose a crewmate. They lose a crewmate. The they barely make it out alive. They lose twenty three years. Yeah, they lose so much time because they're there for a while and then they have to the engines get water yeah the engines get flooded so they have to wait there even longer and it 
yeah, 23 years, all for nothing. But I think that adds to the to the pressure of it, like we said. Going back to our thoughts on love and its connection to time and thinking about man, Dr. Man, who's supposedly the best of us and was chosen for the mission along with the others because they had no supposed attachments and how that lack of attachment is what makes him, it ends up being making him less fit for the mission than people who have attachments like Cooper and Brand. Yeah, because he is sitting there alone and I mean he mentions he says you know I I pray that you don't realize that you don't ever realize how good it feels or how how good it is to see another human face that even without that connection he's just been completely miserable but instead of considering the good of humankind and saying you know like if he had if he had children back on earth he'd be like well as much as I'd love to see them I don't want people to waste their time coming to my planet because it's not going to do them any good um, like, I think you'd look beyond yourself a little bit more. Right. Like lo- that idea that love makes you more selfless um, right. instead of less, l- more selfless instead of more, more selfish. selfish. Yeah. And uh, so because he's been on his own and he's just miserable beyond belief and he has, you know, nobody else to think about but himself. Like he just wants to be rescued, man. Right. And instead of time adding pressure for him, the time just basically drives him mad. Right. Basically drives him to do horrible despicable things and uh i love that his time finally runs out though he doesn't get to finish his speech that he's giving (laughs) up on the station and all of a sudden just like blows out the side of the space station and he's gone that's it cut off in mid-sentence and i also think it's interesting that man says that um your family will flash before your eyes but man doesn't have a family to flash before his eyes cooper does and it's that flashing of his family before his eyes that like drives him to keep surviving you know, if you talk right. about the the way both of them are fighting for survival, but Cooper wins out and it's because of, of family and love. because of love. And also, it's interesting All to note that when he's having those flashes love. of his family, the very first shot they show is of the watches. That that visual representation of how time oh, is passing, how time is passing between him and Murph and how now Murph is the same age um, as as he is. But yeah, that first image is of the watches, which is really cool. Plus the watch in Inception. Oh yeah, so many watches. I don't think there are any watches in Dunkirk. There are. <gasps> there are watches in Dunkirk. Yeah, remember Can when that he's be our segue? he's measuring? Yeah, maybe we should segue. I remember um, the gauge, his gas gauge. Is well, I, I want to talk one more thing okay. about the ending of in, Interstellar. I've got time. Um, ah, ah, ah! I didn't get it at first. You had, <laughs> you had to nudge me. I was busy looking at my notes. I think, and, and maybe we've hopefully expressed this, but the the craziness of the ending with the time travel stuff, um, it not only works because there's been foreshadowing to that point, but time and love and, but time and love are, are, the, are two major themes, not the only themes in this film, but that ending is sort of that, is sort of a thematic vehicle for those themes. So, so yes, time did drive man who was alone to do horrible things, but time and its pressure and its connection to love also drove the heroes of the story and the people back on earth to work together to to survive and to survive in a positive light, in a positive way, and to and to move forward too. I think it's interesting that at the very end where they've recreated um, the farmhouse on Cooper Station and it's it's very much about like nostalgia and Cooper but Cooper says 
I don't like all this pretending we're back where we started. And you can even talk about um, like the visual symbolism of like circles. So you have that circle station and very much akin to a watch. But the movie doesn't end there. It doesn't end moving backward. It ends with him moving forward. And um, as, as the poem says, you know, rage against the dying of the light, which... Uh, again, as a way of connecting it to Inception, um, if we talk about how the Edith Piaf, Piaf song is all about sort of putting those memories behind us and burning those memories, and a lot of that song is about like living in the now and in the present, that poem, um, Dylan Thomas, I think, is about both the poem and the song are about sort of using the past, but putting putting the past behind us, letting go of that, and and moving forward. And I think it's another way that it connects the those two films as as sort of spiritual sequels and i like the way the poem is the idea that you know the passing of time is is all about how we choose to spend it um how we choose to spend our time who we're spending it with uh and how we you know make it count i think cooper even with all of his you know all the things that go wrong he is always trying to make it count for his kids okay i have one more thing to talk about and maybe you're not done either but there's a lot of thoughts about time and interstellar and then we'll move on to Dunkirk. But I think it's interesting that as the movie goes along, time makes Cooper more reckless. So so after man destroys part of the endurance, they only have the resources to, to get to Wolf's planet um, if they slingshot around Gargantua. But that means time on Earth will have passed again, I think they say um, 50 years because of relativity. 51. 51, is that what they say? 51. My notes are more accurate than yours. And that's good. That's why we're a duo and I'm not talking by myself because I would miss <laughs> those details. You've so wrong. Yeah. 50 versus 51. It makes a difference. A lot can happen in a moment, Valerie. In a whole year. Yeah. 50 versus 51 years. Yeah. Think of how much happened in 10 hours on a plane flight. Right. But um, yeah, so at that point, I think, and because plan A turns out to be a lie, I think everyone's lost hope for people on earth. And I think even Cooper has lost some hope for his family that his family's still mad at him, first of all. And also that he's, he doesn't feel like he's ever going to see them again because plan A was a lie. And so it, it's made him completely reckless to, um, to send brand on the man's planet and he's going to travel back. So you're talking and, about well, and he's going to drop himself into the black hole. Right. Yes. But his initial, like his whole plan for doing that is just to sacrifice himself and the weight. I think it's all like, you don't think he has any hope of getting back? I don't I don't know. I don't think he does. I don't think that I mean I kind of feel like he's question. feeling so hopeless about the mission that the one thing he really wants is to get back to his family and at least be able to tell him, you know, I'm sorry. I should have stayed. I didn't know that plan A was a lie. Maybe. That he just wants those few final moments with his family. It's possible. Which he gets with Marv. He does get that. Moment. But I feel like he's just become reckless with time personally but that is a question we can end it on that question unless you had more to say about interstellar just one what happens to the brother i mean i know eventually he dies because everybody dies but like they don't even mention him he like gets to cooper cooper gets to cooper station and he's like so here's murph and they even show like other family members yeah like her 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 descendants, descendants but they don't yeah i don't know i mean they they do have like reconciliation like at the end you get the sense that yes that murph because murph hugs him but kind of work it out yeah i don't know what happens to to the brother whose name we apparently can't remember because we keep Mm, saying the brother coop no no that's the grandson yeah yeah i don't tom 
That sounds Tom. Right. Tom. I think it's Tom. All right. Dunkirk. So Inception and Interstellar, I feel, are very, very connected, um, especially through the theme of time. Dunkirk, there is some time stuff in there, but the reason we want to talk about that is just because structurally how it deals with time is very interesting. And a lot of Nolan's movies are told in a nonlinear way. Um, you've got, you know, The Prestige has that um, memento, Interstellar, of course, and and Inception, but uh, Dunkirk is very special and, and awesome in the way that it deals with time as like a structure. I agree. But also I was thinking about the connection between Interstellar and Dunkirk as far as how they deal with the pressure of time, mm. like like with how time is passing. So like one idea I had when I was watching the movie was that the, the pressure of time makes making decisions all the more difficult. Like when you're um, like Cooper, he has to think fast, you know, uh, you know, he's at one point they do. Oh, he gets back to the station. What is the name of it? Cooper Station? Well, no, he gets back to the... Um, oh, the Endurance? The Endurance, yes. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he finally reconnects in the coolest scene ever. Um, but he... And and he says, you know, and now for our next trick. And, you know, he says, well, it's got to be a pretty good one because we're coming up on Gargantua. Mm-hmm. Is it Case? Tars? One of the robots says. Yeah. Anyways, but there's just this pressure. They don't have much time to make decisions ever. And I feel like Cooper does a good job of making good decisions most of the time. Like, he figures it out in the end. And I was thinking about the, you know, the, the soldiers of Dunkirk. So the one main soldier, I don't know, the one main English soldier. Yeah. They know. never name him they in the film. They never name him. I think film. he has a name in the credits. I don't remember mm. what it is, though. But they never say his name, so yeah. it's kind of hard to... Um, but the one that you see throughout, from the very beginning in the, you know, on the beaches of France, um, I feel like he is generally good at making decisions under pressure. Like when the people are, uh, for example, when they're stuck in the boat that's on the beach and they're waiting for the tide to come in and the Germans are shooting at it and they're, you know, getting really worried. They're like, well, we got to, you know, stop the Germans. We got to get out there and stop them from shooting at the ship or whatever. And he's like, look at it. They're, look at the grouping. You know, it's just target practice. Like they don't know that we're in here. If, as long as we're quiet, they'll eventually stop. And that's just one little moment. He has lots of moments um, when the French soldier goes outside the ship uh the the big ship that they're gonna you know hopefully get off yeah. on mm-hmm. um he the you know the warship he the frenchman doesn't go down into the you know the hold where they're passing out food and stuff because he's and you're kind of wondering why and you know the english soldier says you know he's making sure that there's a way out like he doesn't want to be trapped in here anymore you know and so he's he's quick to pick up on these things and he um so he's good at thinking about things under the pressure of time. But a lot of these other soldiers that you see just make really rash decisions. Um, I mean, understandable. They're under immense amount of pressure. But when you don't have the time to make a good decision, to think things through, you often make a bad decision. Yeah, I, I do agree that he's good at making decisions under pressure. What's interesting is that he, or at least interesting to me, is a lot of his decisions are still very like selfish in the sense of he's just trying to survive and he is... By himself, he doesn't really have uh, his company with him anymore. Like he gets the makeshift company of other soldiers, um, starting with the Frenchman, and then yes. and then with Harry Styles, and then the other group of people on the boat. But most of his choices are just him trying to survive, and sometimes in sort of cheating, sneaking ways. Like when he and the Frenchman are um, see the wounded soldier and see that as an opportunity for them to get try to get on, on the boat, and then they get on that boat and they tell them get off. You know, um, but then they, instead of sneaking back to the back of the line or whatever, they hide underneath the pier. And so he isn't good at making these decisions, but, um, and they are pressured decisions, like you said, un- under the pressure of time. 
but uh, it is very selfish. And I don't mean that like, and he, he's a bad character. I That's what I like about this movie is that all the heroes of the film are imperfect in a lot of ways, except for Tom Hardy. He's golden. Also the dad who drives the boat. True. But not really. You talked about this. He just sorts of let oh, sorts this, of... I mean, <laughs> yeah. This is part of the era, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Should we talk about this? During the movie, I was like watching as the boy, George, goes off with... I don't remember the names, but he's not their yeah, son. He's not their son. He's just a friend. He's a friend of the dad and the son with the boat. And the last minute, he just like hops on the boat and the dad just lets him um, go off to war with him. Which is the boy's heroic moment, but... Right, but as a as a dad, he's like, you know, like what? There was no thought that like, no, you need to go ask your parents first. I mean, I can barely let my kid like walk across the street to ask a friend to come play without like watching him out the window. Like I like <laughs> struggling to like let him go that far. And uh, in this one, he's like, yeah, sure. Just hop on this boat. Let's go to war. We're heading to war. Yeah. You will probably die. He does he warn does George. Die. Yeah. He says. We're heading to war, George. And uh, George seems to accept it, and he seems to say okay. I mean, they did graduate, it seemed like. said he's 17, so 17? maybe. 18. Anyways, so I, I don't know, maybe he considers him enough of an adult to make his own decisions. True. But I, I think it does speak to, to that uh, idea of all the heroes in this movie are very flawed. They're not, they're not romanticized as soldiers. Um, everyone's just trying to survive. Again, that theme of survival, um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of war movies, one of the things I love about them is there's generally those heroic moments where, like, the self-sacrifice. And you get a few of those in here, but I feel like there are even more where it's like, and, you know, they're just trying to save themselves. That, yeah. that human nature comes out. Yeah, I feel like this movie is way more about how war sucks versus, like, yay, It definitely bullets, doesn't romanticize you know. anything. No, I mean, there's, like you said, there's a few moments, like, like Tom Hardy's moments um, toward the end. But even his... The end of his story isn't super hopeful at all. Um, so yeah, that's what I love about this one. And even, like I said, The Bridge on the River Kwai, both of them are about how crappy war is. And uh, yeah. I appreciate that. So the yeah, I like the idea that it doesn't romanticize war. And I like that even the people in the war, we talked about this for a minute. Um, so at the end of the movie, they're reading the newspaper article uh, that was written by Winston Churchill that says that um, this was a, what does he call it? Oh, a military disaster. But it was like something like a, uh, like utter or like. Yeah. Immense, Unequivocal. Yeah. Something an, like that. An immense military disaster. Like he owns it. That we failed. That this sucks and we failed. Yeah. Which we had just recently watched the movie about the newspapers and Watergate. Yeah. The Post. The Post. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. yeah. And that one was really good. But the whole thing is about how it was a cover up. Like. How Vietnam, how the how Vietnam, Vietnam War, War yeah. is like, you know, they've been failing and they feel like they have not been able to win for years, but they keep going anyways because they don't want to admit that they've been failing. Right. Um, so I like the idea that this is, I mean, kind of off topic, but anyways, just the we idea haven't really that, gotten into time much with them no. yet, but <laughs> we'll get there. But just the idea that, yeah, you don't that it's a humans are fallible and we only learn from our mistakes. Um, by admitting that we have failed. The beauty of failure. Beauty of failure. <laughs> okay, so time in Dunkirk. So the movie is split up into three different um, moments, three mo- different moments in time. So, And then the movie even shows it on the screen. And it takes a second, maybe even more than a second, to figure out the timeline of, of 
of how this movie is set up. Because you think, oh, this is a war movie. Even if you've seen the trailers, it gives no indication that the editing is nonlinear. But it is very nonlinear. So part one is the mole, which is like that pier. Um, and it just says one week. And you're trying to figure out, well, what does that mean? Um, it basically means one week until until rescue, right? And then part two, or moment two, is the sea um, with the subtitle one day. And then part three is the air with the subtitle one hour. So all those um, timelines are indication of how much time until rescue. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are, Valerie, about why telling the story in such a nonlinear way adds to the to the pressure of time and to the story versus just if they had told the story straight. I had um, when I was thinking about that, like why why put the movie into this um, nonlinear fashion? Like why tell it out of order almost but i think we were talking about how the characters are are fallible humans um that the soldiers are not romanticized but i think that there's also there are good moments where like i was talking about the time that it takes to make a a good decision versus a bad decision and also the time that it takes to um to save a soul like to decide whether to sacrifice yourself or to save another um or like the decision to clear conscience versus seeking retaliation like specifically with the soldier who is shell-shocked on the boat yeah killian murphy's character yeah. mm-hmm. and he has essentially killed this young killed george yeah like he knocks him down i mean not really on purpose but it happens yeah but george's friend at the end tells him he, the soldier asks well what about the boy and is he okay and he goes yeah uh he takes this moment to realize that saving this broken man's conscience more grief and pain is worth more than seeking retaliation um, or or wounding him further just to try and heal himself and his own hurt. Um, And I think there's all these beautiful moments. The, um, The naval captain who stands on the pier and is waiting, you know, he makes sure everybody else gets off. Uh, the uh, you know the beaches and then he's gonna wait for the French like he's gonna stay even longer. Um, so despite the fallibility, there are these beautiful moments, and I think that the way the movie is edited really highlights those moments. I think that Dunkirk is a story of such moments, and so it does and doesn't matter how the story is laid out. Like it's laid out in a way that highlights the moments that are most important versus just telling it chronologically i love that i also think that it adds to the intensity of it um just as an audience member so like um killian murphy's character is a good example of that we first meet him after um all the horror that he's experienced he's sitting on top of the tail end of a sinking ship a big ship and he gets on the boat and like you said he's shell-shocked and then right after that the movie shows the main characters get on a similar big boat and so it leads you as the audience to think, well, is that the boat? Is that Are they going to um, get sunk? Are they on that big boat? And there's a lot of moments like that where you see the end and then you realize that that could be those characters' end. So, like, so even connected to that, later we see some planes headed toward a big boat and we think, is that the boat that the main characters are on? So the movie keeps you guessing by, tell- by showing you the end first, which I think is really, really cool. So like another way of explaining it is you, you see point C first and then you get point A and you have to like fill in the gaps and try to figure out, well, what's going to happen in point B? What makes those characters get from point A to point C? Um, what happens in the middle? Um, also in terms of the characterization too, if the, to- the story was told like in a very linear fashion, we wouldn't meet um, Mark Rylance, the, 
the boat captain, the dad, um, until much, much later in the story. And same with the pilots on the planes. Um, we would be sort of going along with this main soldier and then meet these characters much That's later. That's true. And they you wouldn't, wouldn't get a story. Yeah. And I mean... We wouldn't get their moments. Yeah. And it's it's still... You know, it's based on a real story, but like in terms of the war, but I don't think these individual characters are real characters. Um, so, I mean, the story could just be told in a, a different way. But um, yeah, I just think it adds to the intensity and to the characterization as well to tell the story in a non-linear way. And um, it, it just adds so much more intrigue than a, a straight story about war. I agree. Uh, I think there are also moments in the movie that talk about, you know, a few more I wanted to bring up that talk about, like, time. So I think the whole idea is that there's so much time. I mean, we've got a week that they're trapped on the beach, um, that they're, like, literally trapped in time. They can't do anything. Yeah, they're just stuck there they're waiting stuck. to die, basically. Yeah, and the lines... The lines for the boats. Like, we always talk about, you know, being an adult is like waiting in waiting line, line or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, how much time do we spend waiting in lines? There's all those jokes like, you know, you'll spend seven years of your life waiting in line or whatever. But, I mean, at least we're not in mortal danger, which I would like to point out to the gentleman behind me in a truck the other day when I was trying to turn left and there was like this giant... You know, one of those car carrying semi trucks in front of me, and then another car behind him, and we were in the you know the left hand turn. It's a busy intersection, and the truck turns left, and it pretty much takes up the entire turn arrow. And so the car behind him takes it on the yellow, and so then I just stopped, and the truck behind me was like laying on his horn at me, like so mad because apparently he didn't have enough time. And then you yelled out the window, "This isn't done, Kirk." <laughs> I should have. You're not gonna die, buddy. <laughs> And then we like turn the corner and he like pulls into the Costco parking lot. And I'm like, yeah, your Costco trip was like life or death. Like right. Dunkirk, right, pal? Yeah. Come on. Time, man. It's all waiting in lines. It's all waiting. Yeah. This movie's a lot of waiting in, in a line. Yeah. I was also thinking about, I like the way the nonlinear brings up the idea that uh, that things take time. Like you were saying, if we had only seen the one soldier from beginning to end, we wouldn't realize how long it takes for the boats to get there and how long it takes for the planes to get there. Like, we, we wouldn't have felt it in the same way. And speaking of, like, the pressure of time, like when Tom Hardy, the pilot, when his fuel gauge is broken and the other pilot asks him, you know, well, should we turn back? But he knows that there's no time. Like, if they turn back, lives are lost. He's also, just really quick, he's also measuring his fuel by his watch, like, by how much time... He's been in the air and how much time has passed. True. So again, there's that watch and and time he, as a resource. Yeah, he's doing those calculations on his own. But yeah, I think there's I think Dunkirk's just beautiful. But a lot of it has to do with the time. The way it's structured in the movie, the editing, and also the the time, the how quick it is for things to change. You know, just a moment that changes everything. Or a week of waiting for nothing. Like it just Time, man. Yeah, time, man. Time. Like, yeah, this movie is a, has a good um, balance of either lots of waiting or really making quick decisions under pressure, and it handles it handles time very interestingly in a, in a um, like I said, mysterious and intriguing and and really fun. I don't know if fun's the right word for Dunkirk, but um, editing wise in a fun way. So yeah, fascinating. That's a good way of putting it. Well, thanks for joining us on this extra long episode about time. That's fitting, right? right. We took a lot of time. You've been waiting in line to, to research listening it. to this episode. And you took a lot of time to listen to, to listen. it if you've made it this long. Yep.
Well, tell us what you think. Tell us about uh, your thoughts on other Nolan movies that incorporate the theme of time or or time as um, time in editing and how you experience it as an audience member. Um, you can discuss it with us on Instagram and Twitter at elsewhere underscore pod. We love hearing what you think and uh, we love when you share us with those around you. Yeah, thanks for listening. We love our listeners. You are you all are wonderful. Awesome. We spend our time with you because we love our audience. You know, we spend mm. time with those we love. Time, man. Time. Time. It's like Chris Pratt in a Hawaiian shirt. Happy beeps. Happy beeps. <laughs>